are now live on the live stream as well. Uh, thank you all for being here. This is our, I think, the fourth quarantine happy hour chat we've put together here. And today I'm joined by Caleb Curtis, Andy Bianco, Brian Kroc, Paul Jones. And uh, we're really glad that you guys could take a few minutes to talk about, um, you know, where you're at, what's happening, and some places that people can check out your music and support what you guys are up to. So uh, before we go too far, I'd love for to go around here and everybody to introduce themselves and tell people what they play and what their projects are, if they're working on anything, and maybe where they are quarantined right now. So let's start with Caleb. Okay. Uh, my name is Caleb Curtis. I play saxophone. And uh, I'm here at home in Brooklyn, New York. And uh, yeah, you're going to hear that a couple of times. Um, and I'm the, the most active project at the moment that I have is the Curtis Garabedian's Barraza Trio. We have a record out on outside in called New Year that came out last year. And um, we're working on another project. And then I have a, a record out under my own name called Brothers with, a, with uh, some guys associated with Orrin Evans and the Captain Black Big Band. Um, and another one of those coming out in the fall. And then otherwise it's hard to think of really anything at all uh, other than this pre present moment. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I don't know. What should I say, Brian? What should I tell them? <laughs> uh, I think you covered it, man. I think okay. you covered it. Great, thank you. Uh, let's let's well, now. Brian's talking. Brian, let me see. Sure. Okay. Hey, I'm Brian Croc. Um, I am uh, the leader of this big band called Big Heart Machine. Um, we have a record out on Outside in Music um, that came out in 2018, and I also lead a um, smaller group that's called Little L I D D L E, um, and we had a record come out last year. We've got a live album coming out this fall that we recorded at Firehouse 12. Um, and Big Heart Machine also has a live album coming out this year. That's done. I'm nice. still trying to pin out now to do it. Um, but there's a video to accompany each song on that record. And that all was done by Morantz Audiovisual. Uh, Matt Morantz recorded it and Luke Morantz is editing the videos. Um, and yeah, I'm I'm quarantined here in Brooklyn, New York, and um, today is actually the first day of the of this quarantine period that I've been off the couch because I've been really sick. Um, I didn't get tested for COVID, but um, I had sinusitis. I don't know if it's related to COVID or whatever, but I had a really bad sinus infection, so I've been um, absolutely like the sickest I've ever been in my life. And it's been really pretty a sad scene here oh, in Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn. Did you feel so, better now? I am. I went for a run today. I only ran half a mile, but <laughs> but yeah, it was man. my first. <laughs> so, yeah. Wow. Well, good. I'm glad you're feeling better. And uh, isn't that that other little record is coming soon, right? The... Yeah, that's coming out on another label. It's coming out on um, Out of Your Head Records. Cool. Um, so yeah, so we're, um, that's all done and ready to come out. We're doing digital only, um, but we are making some physical little goodies. We're making like postcards with download codes. Nice. Um, so yeah. yeah. And Andy. Oh, hello everybody. Uh, Nick, thank you for doing this. It's great to, uh, great to meet you all. Um, my name is Andy Bianco. I'm a professional performing guitarist and composer based out of Brooklyn, New York. Here I am in Windsor Terrace. And um, currently, I mean, I work with several different projects and different artists, but right now my main focus is promoting my uh, newest release on Next Level Records entitled NYC Stories, which is right here. And unfortunately, the both of my CD release parties are canceled indefinitely. Uh, hopefully it'll be postponed or they'll be rescheduled. But, um, so I don't have any, uh, I don't have any shows right now. I'm hoping to uh, reschedule the ones that I did got canceled. Um, but yeah, I'm just promoting that. And that's my main focus. I don't try not to lose momentum, even though we are in a pandemic. So happy to be here. Happy to be a part of the label. And yeah, 
Great. And Paul? Hey, world. I'm Paul Jones. Um, I'm coming to you from Inwood, New York, which is upper Manhattan, sitting on my girlfriend's couch. Um, I have a new project out this year as well on Outside In. It's called Let's Get Tropical. Uh, it has pianist Phil Markowitz, bass player Linda O, oh, and drummer Clarence Penn. Um, I was so happy and uh, enthralled I could get them to play on my record. Uh, it was a you know dream to make that happen, and so I'm really super happy to have that out and share it with the world. Um, and yeah, I'm just hanging out in the pandemic and like spent the last 10 days just mostly like trying to figure out if I was going to get sick or not, you know, getting meds and stocking up in food and cooking new recipes and things like that. And happy to say um, I'm surviving, which is good. And I'm glad to hear, Brian, you're feeling better. Um, Thanks, Ben. Yeah, and I've been hearing that this this thing is pretty intense. A couple of saxophone players, friends of mine, Nick Yellow and Sam Dillon, supposedly have had it. And Nick is getting over it, which I'm really happy to hear. And I think Sam's in the middle of it right now. I hope the world, I hope Sam doesn't get mad if like I'm telling the world his, his business, but I'm sure everybody will be like, send love to Sam for his quick recovery. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm happy to be hanging with Nick and everything he does for all the musicians on his label and putting out good music. Trying our best. Awesome. Well, I think um, I, what I want to do now is go around one more time and uh, I, everyone can think about this for a second, but I've been asking everybody this question. Who, alive or dead, is the jazz musician you would most like to be quarantined with? Sorry, not jazz musician, but musician. Could be any musician. Quarantined with? You gotta be quarantined <laughs> with, like stuck in your current oh, situation. God. Who Wait, could we do who is, who is the jazz musician, alive or dead, you'd least like to be quarantined sure. well, with? We've had this conversation too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dangerous. Uh, some that have come up as uh, that people don't want to hang out with would be Miles, for example. Mm -hmm. I'd be quarantined with Miles. But I mean, what if you really like drugs? What's that? Because we got to keep it. <laughs> no, I don't like drugs. Like you said alive or dead? Yeah, it could be dead or alive. I it think Caleb, Caleb will get in trouble if he doesn't <laughs> yeah. say Marta Sanchez. <laughs> yeah. <that's, laughs> I think so. Well, the, the added benefit is that we are, and it's going, it's cool. So, and it's going great. Know, it's going great. I don't really, you know. Man, it's hard to imagine spending that much time with anybody right. all in a row, much less someone you don't know. It's true. That's We're why all about that's, to find out if I like, spend that much time with somebody. Right. <laughs> so what do you think, Caleb? Would it be Marta or would it also be somebody else? <laughs> it would be Marta for sure. Because uh, it's, a, it's, you know, uh, I wish it was easier for us to play in our, together in our apartment. We don't feel that comfortable with that. So, but it would be really nice to be able to play music with somebody else. Yeah, at the moment. Andy, what do you think? Who's who's your quarantine buddy? Well, I mean, it's a challenging question because on one hand, I mean, there's some people that I would like to hang with, but I think they may be too much of a hang for me. So, <laughs> I don't as much as I would like I'd love to have met Miles Davis. I think that that would be too much of a hang. Um I would say, I'd say either Prince or Coltrane. I feel like, I feel like right now for me, the quarantine vibe is really, it's a really good chance to reflect and maybe be a little bit more sort of peaceful and more spiritual and be very exploratory and contemplative. And I think, I think someone like Train would be a very, from what I've read about him, would be a very good, peaceful person, a good roommate, not someone that would be too crazy or blowing lines off strippers' backs like Miles Davis, you know what I mean? So... I think uh, I would say if I had to pick one, although I'd love to hang with Prince, I think he would be cool too. Coltrane. Yeah, Coltrane. He'd just be shedding the whole time. He would never talk to you. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he'd probably be annoying. He'd, he'd yeah. just it would be make, like, it would make me practice more, though. It would inspire me to practice more, which is good. <clears throat> it could be. Or what about you, Brian? What do you think? Well, okay. A couple come to mind. I, I want to say Carla Blay. Because um, I'm also like going through, I'm I'm reading a book about her by Amy Beal, and uh, and trying to listen through her discography. I, um, a mutual friend of all of ours, Marty Kenny, he's always doing these projects where he listens 
um, chronologically through a single artist's discography. And I've right. never done that before, so I'm trying to do it with Carla. And um, and the, I, she doesn't have any music that I don't like, and she seems really cool. Um, so I would say her. But you know, when you asked a person living who came to mind, and I don't know why, because I don't know this person, but Julian Lodge seems like he would be like a very, um, a very like caring and um, and uh, and supportive, uh, gentle person to be quarantined with. So uh, you know, he's also got a really nice voice. So you know, he would deliver like bad news in a pleasant way. Like, so I think I'll give him a runner up. Only three more weeks of yeah. quarantine. Good answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Paul, do you, you have any thoughts? Um, I think I'd go with Andy. Maybe like if it was like a musical decision, probably Coltrane. Because um, I'm a tenor sax player and I've, he's been my like main entrance into jazz and saxophone life uh, since I was in high school. Um, but if it was just for a hang, uh, there's that, there's a picture of Thelonious Monk playing, playing ping pong and I really enjoy playing ping pong. So I think it'd be fun to hang with him and play ping pong. And I'm sure I could learn so many things, musical or non, just from playing ping pong with him. So. Sure. I like ping pong. (laughs) Nice. So while you guys have been, you know, holed up, I know Brian has kind of alluded to what he's been listening to but i'm curious if you guys have found any new records or new you know obsessions uh music wise while you've been kind of stuck under this quarantine we got the carla blay discography well yeah I'll, I'll go first i guess carla blay um is somebody who i've always been interested in but never done a deep dive on and man she has like such a varied and interesting um and large output so I've been going through that. But also today I, um, I transcribed a, um, a Billy Strayhorn saxophone solely. And I've actually never done that before. Um, oh. Transcribe a saxophone solely. I've, it was really, really tough and super annoying to my fiance because I <laughs> slowed it down and was like, I was like listening to just like the same chord over and over again on Logic, like, eh, eh trying to hear like every voice so that was driving her nuts but um yeah so this that's on this rosemary clooney record called um blue rose it was billy strayhorn's first big assignment for the duke ellington band so i'd really recommend that record it's it's so great and there's such a fascinating story behind it too because rosemary clooney was pregnant she was 27 years old she was very pregnant and having a really rough pregnancy Mm -hmm. And while Billy Strayhorn was writing the arrangements, he was simultaneously taking care of her because they were, they were supposed to like meet up to like talk about her range and what key she likes to sing these songs in. And, and it ended up just being like him, like cooking for her and making her tea. Um, but the, that process of them like getting really close very quickly while he was writing the charts gave her like, so much trust in him as an arranger. And, and I think you can really hear that um, in the arrangements. So Blue Rose by Rosemary Clooney, great record. Maybe Billy Strayhorn is a good answer for the quarantine. Oh man, yeah. So, uh, so Brian, um, somebody was asking on the live stream chat over here, there was a book you said that was about Carla Blay and they wanted to hear the, what the name of the book was again. Sure. It's, it's, it's by Amy C. Beal, B-E-A-L. Um, and it's part of a composer series. I don't remember exactly what the book is called, but it's part of a composer series. There's also a, um, a similar book about um, John Cage. There's one about, um, uh, there's a variety of them. And, and I, I heard about it through George Lewis um, and, uh, and, so I just started reading it though. I, I'm I'm like trying to when when a new album comes up in the book, I'm trying to stop reading and listen to it. So it's taking a long time. But oh okay. Nice. Who else? Who else has got something new they've been listening to? Or old. Well, I get it. Oh go ahead, Andy. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, not you. Please. <laughs> okay. Um I just 
just heard for it's a brand new record i think but uh just heard for the first time ted poor's new record on impulse oh wow called you already know with uh with andrew d'angelo mostly i'm downloading that it's, now it's um i have to say it's amazing i uh i wish that i made that record and it, 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 do you know who do you know who produced it um no it's it's Blake Mills produced it. Oh, he yeah. did all the all the piano oh, yeah. and the strings and stuff. That's yeah. Blake Mills. Such an interesting combination of people. Man, it's uh, <clears throat> it, it's simple. It's a really the music is really simple. Uh, it's great. It's beautiful, and and the sound of the record is great. You know, both the alto and the drums, and the drums are really pre really up front, which is nice. And then um, I'm excited to hear Gerald Cleaver's brand new electronic record. Oh, um, wow. that came out today or yesterday. So I just started checking that out and, uh, and yeah. And then I think right before the, we had to, I guess it was the beginning of the month. So a couple of weeks before John Arabigon recommended to me, this guy, Maurice McIntyre on the record called humility in the light of the creator. And he's a, I guess a Chicago ACM guy that I, don't know about and uh i guess those have been the ones that i've been that's where my head's at hmm. nice and uh, andy no that's cool that's good to know um yeah i mean i haven't checked out ted poor's new record i definitely i want to check it out after this blake mills i remember seeing him at rough trade a couple years back and i really really dug it and i remember a time he was dating you and apple and he had her come up and sing and i was like I thought that was pretty cool, and it was, and you know, it worked out really well. Um, he's definitely, he's definitely a heavy cat. Um, in terms of what I've been listening to today, in the past couple of days, actually, um, there's a there's an Andrew Hill record from 1974 called Invitation that I really like, a trio record. I was actually uh, talking to a good buddy of mine, another great pianist, George Burton, today about that because I was like, man, I'm digging on this record, and he's like, oh, I love that record, and um, George is actually on my record. And George actually has a record out that I'm on called Reciprocity, um, which is another um, record that I've been checking out. I'm on a couple tracks there. And that's actually, I'm on two Sigur Rose covers. So, but his record is, is outstanding. It has uh, Tim Warfield and um, James Biscuit Rouse is on it, Chris Hemingway, a bunch of cats. So I've been checking out those two records and I've been listening to a lot of books on tape and I've been also listening to a ton of Tom Harrell, but I kind of do that all the time, but definitely I recommend Andrew Hill Invitation, um, early 70s. It's some of my favorite, Andrew Hill and George Burton Re Reciprocity. Nice. Paul? Um, I've not been as widespread. I've really only been listening to like two things uh, lately, uh, just because what I'm shedding and I've just been listening to uh, Sonny Rollins' solo on Pent Up House. And then um, Hank Mobley's solo on Tenor Conclave. Just been listening to those tracks because I'm trying to get jazz language into my life. And it's always been very, very challenging for me. Um, and so I'm trying to just put it through the ringer right now and just let those things get in there. And so those have been really what I've been listening to. Uh, and then, like, I can't even think beyond that. Like, that's about it. That's cool. So I'd love to know more about that, what you were just saying about how you felt like it was hard for you to get jazz vocabulary into your life. What do you, what do you mean? It's you still really hard like, for me. I still like you play lots of jazz vocabulary. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> I think I just don't play it, like, I don't want to talk about myself here, but you know, that Please whole do. thing. But <laughs> uh, I think I need to just play more eighth notes and that might help some. Um, I, you know, because uh, I was thinking about it the other day. I was like, man, I know this lick or like, I know that thing. And I was like, I could play that really fast. And I was like, wait a second. Maybe I'm just playing it too fast. Um, but I've studied lots of licks and memorized them or like analyzed solos, written out solos and things like that. I just always had a really hard time. Um, I think making it sound natural or making it sound like a statement. You know, uh, even when I listen to my own playing, I'm like, man, sometimes that just sounds like nothing. It's like I can hear all the harmony going by, but I don't hear like, like a, a statement of some sort. And I'm trying to figure that out. 
and like I'm listening to Sonny and even like listening to Sonny for me is like really hard. It's hard to hear like exactly what he's saying until I like memorize the solo and sit there and understand the notes, what he's exactly doing. So like, I want to look at some of the lines that are like really, really strong and really cool and figure out why those are so clear. Cause I think, yeah, I like, I've learned language. I've learned like the B da 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 licks, you know, in 12 keys or whatever. And like, you learn your bebop heads in 12 keys to try and like get all this stuff together, but it's never really translated into like a solid statement or solid sound. And so I think at the moment what I'm trying to do is memorize Sonny solo, and then I'm going to write it down. And I want to like analyze the licks that are so strong and clear that make just make us all go, yeah, that's it. And see why, why that, that one little second is really strong. And if I can figure that out, maybe I can like, develop that into other other words of jazz language you know yeah yeah i mean i asked that because like i see that some of my students are watching number one and uh it's just interesting to hear that same perspective from that you're still you know trying to search it out even though you're maybe doing the thing that they imagine that they want to be doing in the future you know just playing in new york so uh do you do does any of the other the rest of you guys have any thoughts about I, I do. I want to say before it gets misconstrued that I was laughing at Paul, but not be or laughing with Paul because I know ex that feeling so well of feeling like you're of playing for me of playing things that don't do anything. Nothing happens. And I got so far down that rabbit hole that I thought that notes didn't matter anymore. Yeah, because it's like, well, you can just play anything over anything and it doesn't matter. And and to me um it, it felt like an impenetrable wall because i liked consonants as much as dissonance you know yeah. but also maybe that was just to make up for the fact that i couldn't really and struggle to play like lines that sound like anything so uh but that one of the places that i've come to from there uh because a friend of mine recommended this book called the harmonic experience Do you, any of you, you guys know this book and I only know it because you recommended it to me. Yeah, because I'm insane about it. But the it's the fundamental premise is to get in touch with the feeling of of the relationship of sounds. And the first exercise is to sing a unison with a drone until you feel that you are the drone. So it's like simultaneously musical and philosophical. Mm. And it's not a music theory book, it's about the experience of it. And but what it ended up making me think about something that I had deliberate like I had ignored for a long time was the musician that is me before I have the saxophone in my hands. And, and I've, I've been thinking about it as two sort of like two musicians. And if I ignore the musician that's here, then the, when I put the saxophone in my hands, it's disconnected from me. Hmm. And if I, and this, the saxophone can be very, 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 very highly developed. And when I pick it up, that's the only thing I can do is super high level development on the instrument. Like your hands and not your your hands. Yeah, I mean this. I think the simple way to say it is your your hands and not your ear, right? And and one thing that's happened is that it. I my eyes my ears have started to open up to the actual like a sound of two notes and what it is and it 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 makes me really wonder why we play so fast. And I don't know, you know, it's like. I don't like you. I can't hear that in fast music. You hear other stuff, other logic and organization, but it's hard to hear the weight of each interval. I mean, it, it would take real, like, unbelievable discipline to be able to hear that deeply into, into it. And uh, I don't know that that's possible for me to do that or if I want to. Um, but I have found a little bit more clarity playing slower in terms of feeling each note and maybe hearing it in a way that I had never experienced up until last year. Huh. You know? Yeah, I've been thinking about that like with the eighth note thing. Like I yeah. can play, play very fast, you know, and developing technique over time, all the classical eighth notes, the etudes and stuff, and you know, whatever, playing in 12 keys. But Sonny is playing eighth notes, like in medium tempo, <laughs> just eighth notes. And like, yeah. The, you know, the connection between the first note of the phrase to the second note of the phrase to all the way through the end, you know, <clears throat> that paper and we study these things, like it's so easy to be like, oh yeah, he's doing approach to the one, then he's doing the third, the yeah. fifth, 
the major seven to the nine back down, you know, really easy to look at that, but he actually heard it and felt it and understood it. And so it's like just slowing down in eighth notes. And like, I've always struggled with doing it slower. I think it's really hard to groove playing eighth notes also. Yeah. They're so tricky because it really has to be the, it's not the rhythm of the individual, the small group. It's the rhythm of the big group where the accents are in the spaces. And it's not like when, you know, if we think about rhythms playing triplets and sixteenths and like to vary the rhythm in the line is to vary the duration of each note, not the construction of the line itself. Yeah. And you can play so fast that people yeah. don't, won't hear your imperfections in between, you know, like yeah. you play really fast and just skip over an arch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's my whole style. <laughs> Both, I just want to I just want to interject because listening to both Paul and Caleb um, has made my brain scream the name Chris Speed and I don't know Nick oh, yeah. how many I don't know what kids are 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 uh, students are listening to but I would really recommend checking out any of Chris Speed's more recent trio records um, with Dave King and um, and um, Chris, uh, who's playing bass on those uh, Chris, uh, Chris Tordini Tordini um they play a lot of tunes and and with with speed you can really hear him every single note you hear the intention behind it you hear the breath and the thought and even a little bit of um like um like uh uncertainty sometimes and even when he's just playing a very stock lick you feel like it's the reason it's coming out of his horn is because each note was intended and not because he's just going through some series of um like mathematical functions that he knows will work for him um and so it just that just hearing you guys made me think of him and it also makes me think of andrew d'angelo um who yeah. you know he'll often play um you know um you know it, <laughs> this is kind of random but i'm thinking of one fortuitous day that i saw um, Guillermo Klein's band at the Vanguard and the saxophone section was insane it was like Mark Turner Miguel Zinan Chris Cheek and Bill McHenry and uh, they did a song it was like it was like some complex changes and all four saxophone players played a solo and uh Except for the Barry player yeah I don't, I don't even think there was a Barry player it might have been Chris Cheek playing Barry but um but Bill McHenry was the last person to play. And after those three guys, it was like, what could, what could be, what could he possibly do that would, um, Bill's tone. Bill's tone and yeah. Oh man. And so, yeah, he played one note so insistently and with the most interesting rhythms and articulations. And it was just one note over and over and over again for the whole solo. And all three of the, of those other saxophone players were like, I remember watching their faces and seeing Miguel Zinan just be like, like, <laughs> like in disbelief that he was able to do that um, with just one note. Bill is super bad. Bill is, I mean, him and Chris Speed share something fundamental. It's not their sound or, appro or approach really, but it's, it's like, maybe it's like a, a lesser young connection or like a um, thing based in, melody first right i mean when 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 paul was saying and i don't want to talk too much but when paul was saying about labeling like the approach tone up to the one and then you go up the arpeggio to the nine or whatever i think it's very it was making me think about how it's so easy to think that that's the answer to what it is the description the label and the label of what it is doesn't tell you anything about it other than its name right something like that. And, and so, you know, it's like that calling it the nine has nothing to do with how the nine sounds. Yeah. It's just a label for it. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's just really, I would implore, uh, I would, you know, there's a lot of information there, uh, but it's not, it doesn't tell you anything about the thing. Sure. No, I know what you mean. Yeah. Uh, and do you want to weigh in there? Well, I mean, it's, I mean, it's some very interesting topics. I just wanted to say a couple of things about um, language and about 
subjectivity. And then also about Chris Cheek. I love Chris Cheek. Um, I think that there's something very unique about the way he approaches rhythm, the way he utilizes triplets in a way that to me is very, very much communicates the essence of jazz because to me that's a very African thing, the triplet feel, the big three, and somebody like Grant Green is someone like that too. Um, and, I, and I like that a lot, the, the, the triplet approach that he has in a lot of his stuff, and I think he uses triplets masterfully. But I mean, he's a very, very rhythmic player, um, and I think that's great. With regards to language, with what you're saying, Paul, I mean, I really feel like it's up to each individual and all of us as individuals to determine how much we need to be steeped in language before we can start crafting our own voice. Because, you know, I, I think that there's a, a danger if you spend so much time in language, then if you wish to be someone who's more of an innovator, has more of a individual sound, you can end up sounding like a, a great stylist or someone can emulate so many different cats, but you really don't necessarily have your own voice. And then if you don't spend, and, and that would be the criticism that you could find yourself being subject to by the community and, and by your peers and just by the music world at large. And then if you, if you don't spend enough time and you're more of an innovator or you're more of like, I'm going to do my own thing and I'm not going to transcribe cats or I'm not going to learn bebop skills or whatever, you know, then you run the risk of, you know, it will work. Yeah, exactly. You run the risk of, of exactly. Um, so, I mean, I think it's really up to the player. I mean, I've, I've heard people criticize, I've heard saxophonists criticize Wayne Shorter publicly because they don't like the fact that in yes or no, he takes uh, a D9 sus chord and then he goes to a D major nine chord. And to me, I think that's ridiculous. I think it, it's really, I mean, to me, jazz is about being an individual. It's about being unique. Um, and one of the, the things about language and, and also just, you know, the, the way that academia is just so, I mean, there's, there's, it, it's just blown up and the whole approach to with bebop scales and everything like that. I mean, there's obviously the tremendous utility in bebop scales and it's great getting cats to play inside. But um, I mean, I think ultimately it should be about however you want to get from F on a D minor seven to A or B on a C major seven chord is really up to you. And the way that you get there is, is, is who you are. So, I mean, but, you know, I'm always thinking about language and, and, you know, there's different approaches to get language in your playing. I mean, I guess transcribing, learning as many tunes as you can, but I really think ultimately it's up to the individual. And then just with regards to uh, intention, I think that's subjective too. I mean, you know, one person can say, oh, it sounds like the guy's just playing a whole bunch of BS or whatever. And another person can be like, oh, man, that solo was great. I could feel every note, every note was so deliberate. There was so much intention. So it's just such a subjective thing, and that's how it should be, in my opinion. <laughs> sure. I mean, of course, it's subjective. Totally. You know, I mean, the, the whole thing is, is, is to develop an opinion right. about style or preference, about sound, about rhythm, about any of those things, and, exactly. then, to tr and then to try to make those informed opinions, you know, yep. uninformed opinions are pretty much meaningless. They're just nothing, but informed opinions, then you can look at your own practice and, and look at the music, evaluate the music you're making against your preferences. Sure. And, and the things that you're doing in the direction of, uh, I'm not talking to you, Andy, I'm just being out in general, but that the, 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 the way we spend our time, is it in the direction of the things that we like? Right. I also, you know, I always try to, to argue that, you know, people often say like such and such has amazing technique. Um, and I think if, if I were to try to define the word technique, it would, it would simply mean being able to do what you want to express on your instrument. And so if you don't want, to play blazingly fast, or you don't want to play straight ahead jazz, or you don't want to do this, or you don't want to do that. Um, it's not, you don't have bad technique if you can't do those things because they are meaningless to you and your art. Um, so, you know, I, I mean, but I also do try to keep in mind what Paul said about being able to work. I think as a teacher, you, you definitely have some sort of responsibility 
to your students to set them up for um, a situation where they can flourish or at least survive. Absolutely. And, um, and so, you know, for me, it's, it's, um, it's taken to the extreme that I have two different alto saxophones and I have, <laughs> I, I have one that, that I use for jobs um, that is uh, a Yamaha. It's really easy to play. It plays perfectly in tune. And then I have one that I use for my own personal expression, which I would never be caught dead with in a situation where I would need to blend with other saxophone players or, or um, play really quietly. It, it has limitations, but it, I enjoy those limitations um, for my, I have to sort of have the, um, you have to be realistic about um, how you can make a living and see if it's possible for you as an individual to separate that from your um, creative life. And for some people, it, it isn't possible, and I understand that. But um, but for me, I do want to be able to work, and I do want my students to get work. So yeah. Um, just to add on to that, if I, I could, like that's kind of the reason I'm sort of focusing on that at this moment, like the idea of working uh, is. I play a lot of wedding gigs and I play a lot, I do a lot of educating in the winter time. And I just want to balance that out with more jazz gigs. And at the moment in New York city, it really seems like the people that just sort of work playing jazz, uh, play more gigs that require uh, straight ahead language, which is cool. And I love it. And, um, and again, it's a personal stylistic choice. And yeah, for me, I've just sort of felt like uh, I, definitely could be stronger at it. And I think it would be a fitting point that to build on could help me get more work. Because again, it, like the philosophical and all this stuff, like, it's like, how do you want your life to be? What do you want to do? What do you want your day to day life to be like, you know, like, mm -hmm. like, if you're like 100% an artist, what does that mean? Like, in reality, what does it mean? Are you cool with having a job? you know, while you build your art career, because being an artist is more like being an indie rock musician than it is sort of like this idealized thing uh, that we view the jazz history to be, you know? And then like, for instance, like with Wayne playing that chord shape on Yes or No, dude already had like a massive career in record label at that point, do whatever he wanted. You know, it doesn't matter. <laughs> like I don't have Blue Note Records giving me rent and food every month, you know, or like, and so it's sort of the reality of the time. And I would love to just play my music or play in, you know, everybody's band here and make art all the time. And but it's like, how do you want to live your life? So for me at the moment, that means I think, uh, you know, some friends have been really helping me out and they're saying, dude, if you just learn some more language, like I'm going to put you on these gigs. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to learn this language and I'm just going to do that because I want to do that. I want my life to be a certain way. I want more jazz gigs. And for other people at the time in their life, it might be like, I really want to work on my my unique personal voice because I want to I really need to create art and I definitely personally felt like that for a very long time you know putting out al albums on outside in and under my own thing you know I wanted to get my statement out there so you know the we just went deep jazz language just if I could just to address yeah. So, yeah, Paul. Oh, what you were saying so um, when I said that about Wayne that was not directed at you at all no no no. i didn't think that at all i didn't think that at all no i was just like it's an example of like the the example of the conversation about like what does it mean to play language what does it mean to not play language you know yeah. like and wayne is one of our heroes and there's a moment where he it's like i'm choosing to play this and it's like what does it mean right cool. exactly. and, and that's exactly what i'm saying my thing is like it's up like if wayne wants to do that then Good for Wayne. That's my attitude with that. And if you want to, if you want to take a more inside approach, then that's great. You know. Yeah, like each person to their own at the moment. That's good for them. You know. Sure. Cool. Oh, I like this conversation. Yeah, there's, yeah, and, me too. You know, <laughs> we're gonna do this thing for a long time, presumably. <laughs> hopefully. You know, presumably, hopefully, hopefully, yeah. And uh, so you know, your priorities can change. Mm -hmm. You don't have to want to do the same thing that you wanted to do when you were 17 or when you were, or when you're 25 or when you're 40. And all the, it seems like most of the people we admire, they were definitely not like that. Their priorities changed. Yeah. And uh, that's it. You know, so 
I mean, that's it to me. <clears throat> that's what makes being a music fan so fun is like um, getting to observe the choices that the artists you like make. And sometimes you're, you don't like an era of their work or sometimes you um, wish to go down a path and they maybe only made one album that you love. Um, and, uh, and it makes it fun to observe how people change over time as a fan of music, you know? So, yeah. And, but then as yeah, there was change, also, documentary. Like, oh, sorry, Nick. No, 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 go ahead. Uh, I watched the miles documentary. I finally caught up and got hip on Netflix, um, that came out and, you know, there's a lot of stuff that is, uh, talked about cool and there's a lot of stuff that wasn't, but there was a choice that he made like in the, like from 69 on through 70, where it was like, he, all these rock musicians were starting to come out and he was sitting on stages and like, they like, people couldn't play at all. And they had massive, massive audiences. And he was like, you mean that this, if I play like this, this many people will come and I can make this much money. And the manager was like, yeah, man, you could do that. And he's like, I bet I could do this music way better than these guys can. So my audiences should be huge. And he's like, I could make this amount of money. When I was 17, I'd be like, man, you know, screw that. You're not cool. You're not being hardcore enough to the core, you know, or like you're not following the path or whatever. But now, like when I'm, you know, reaching an age older than <laughs> 17, <laughs> uh, like I'm still like, hardcore about the stuff I want to do you know I still want to but at the same time like man like things are expensive and I mm -hmm. wouldn't mind you know not having to work every hour I'm awake to make a lot of this stuff happen so <laughs> I mean I, I this might sound idealistic but I do think there's a conundrum there which is that if you well this I this I'd like to hear everybody's opinions on because I um, I'm just guessing from watching people's careers. Um, and I have a strong feeling that if you focus on doing what you want to do, um, you'll have a long period of essentially a loss leader in your career where you're going to have to constantly invest in yourself. And, um, and a lot of people don't make it through that. But if you can make it through that phase, it does seem like you're setting yourself up for sort of limitless possibilities. And there's, you know, hundreds of artists that fit into that category. And if you like yourself to get too um, discouraged to the point where your soul, um, your soul um, goal or the, the, the thing that's motivating you is financial, you might actually be setting yourself up for limitations down the line because you don't have <clears throat> real artistry that people are attracted to. You're, you're, you're going to limit yourself to always being a, um, um, a working musician for the entirety of your career. And, um, and this is just a, I, I, I kind of think this is kind of just starting a conversation. What do you guys think about that? <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, it's, uh, I, I'm, I might be at a slightly different spot with this idea than a lot of people. Um, I, I'm fortunate that my side work, uh, pays an, enough and doesn't take up too much of my time that I can leave i cannot worry about making money playing music and i still have time to practice and to feel like i'm a musician uh, first so i i feel pretty fortunate in that regard um but also i don't feel like i really bought into the social media internet economy for musicians going forward um sure so I like I'm sort of just checked out of wonder about tr of trying to make money playing music. And for me personally, I don't know. I mean, I, I like when I do make money and it's like, 
you know, I'm not trying to lose a ton of money if I can help it because I don't have it to lose. But uh, for me, the, the, the way has been to take money, money out of music so that I can try to do what I want. And I, you know, I don't know. I've never had that much fun playing music for money. But sometimes, occasionally, the things all line up and you get paid and have a great concert, <laughs> you know. So, but I don't know. I mean, I, I don't I have no streaming strategy. I have no social media strategy. I don't, you know, I don't expect anyone to buy my records. They're not, my record under my name is not on streaming services. And it's not on Bandcamp. So that's a longer conversation, <laughs> but, uh, but it's, uh, you could buy it on iTunes or CD baby or from me basically. And, uh, and that's not helping me sell records <laughs> or make any money, but I, you know, I'm not a part of that other thing. And, and um, that other thing that's like some people's entire career in life. And so I don't know, I don't really know. It leaves me like out of the loop in that way. And I, I, I really like talking to Paul about this stuff because we have, we've made different choices, but he reminds me of the, the strength of, of, of his choices and thinking about work and being like a musician to make your, make your living. Um, anyway, just wanted to say, to say that piece. Does that cue me up? Am I next? Yeah. If you want. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, it's like my first really big inspirational teacher was a guy that worked and I saw that very clearly when I was like 18. His name was Scott Mullet in New Hampshire and he, you know, he was in New York in the 70s and 80s and he played Woody Herman and played with all the guys there in the Vanguard band and if he'd stayed in New York, he would have probably been in the Vanguard band still today. Um, but he was a working musician and I would go see him play his jazz gigs on like every other Tuesday. And I would be like blown away, like, you know, when he'd play. And at that point I was like, man, this guy, wow, unbelievable artist and musicianship, et cetera. You know, and then as I've gotten closer to his age when I met him, uh, like I realized that he was just living his life you know, and he was a multifaceted dude that could do many, many things so he could enjoy his life. He was definitely about enjoying his life. Um, and I've come to appreciate that because it always like this double-edged sword. It's like you're either an artist or you're a working musician. There's no middle ground, you know? And I think I feel like in my head, I'm very much about the middle, like, my name's Paul Jones. It's a very average name, you know, but like, <laughs> how, do I, how do I make that interesting at the same time? You know, like we talk about Chris Chi. He plays very, very simple things, but the way he plays them is at an artistic level, you know, and it's very inside. It's, you know, very basic, you know, in a lot of ways, but it blows us all away. And yeah, I, I, I think it's still just sort of for me gets back to the like, how do you want your life to be sort of situation? You know, at certain times, one thing is going to call out to another. Uh, when I was in my 20s, I wanted to make art. You know, in my early 30s, I was like, I need to get my art out. You know, and then life goes on. And, and that sentence, I think, is a very important sentence. Like, you know, life goes on. Like, what happens in that time to you to inform your decisions? Like, I'm a type one diabetic. That's a whole other crazy thing, you know, that I got in my late twenties and the idea of living through life with that versus not having any sort of chronic illness or medical necessity while being a musician changes your viewpoint, no matter how hardcore you are, you know, cause if you don't take care of that sort of situation, you got bigger problems and everybody has some sort of thing eventually that is really, really a dominating factor. And it, if I had my ideal way, I would just play artistic gigs all day long, you know, and we'd all make millions of dollars. So, but I still think there'd be a lot to be learned from by playing and working, you know, like stage presence, talking to an audience, like how to keep the flow of a concert going, how to entertain an audience, you know, with your music that is highly 
artistic and personal. Um, so at the moment in my life, like I feel like I've put a few records out. They make me feel really good about what I've done. And I'm looking more on like a day-to-day -day basis. What do I do? What do I want to do? And like, I want to play more jazz gigs, whatever they are, you know, and I, cause I got a lot of friends I like hanging out with and I want to see them and I want to play music with them because they're all great in their own ways. And, and I want to see my friends on the wedding scene and I want to see my friends on, you know, teaching scene. And like, uh, I think it's a hole in my playing. So I think it's just a balance again at your time in your life. What do you think you need? Um, and it probably is always a daily evaluation. Definitely. Andy, did you want to add anything? Yeah, I mean, a lot to unpack here. I mean, I just kind of wanted to get back to what Brian originally originally brought up. Um, you know, I mean, my father was a professional musician, um, and you know, he always taught me that professional means that you get paid. So I've always gone into this from the standpoint of being a professional, and I think that you know, I mean, obviously, you can learn a tremendous amount of skill sets from being a professional musician, especially if you're open to working with, you know, crazy neurotic artists and shows. And, you know, I, I do the wedding stuff too and, and all of that. Um, and then I've always, you know, kind of thought of doing my own music and the whole artist thing is sort of a separate thing. Um, and I, you know, I think that that's, that's definitely, there's a lot of utility to that, but the reality of it is to your point, Brian is, I mean, it's harder than it's ever been to make money as a professional musician because when we're talking about monetizing the arts, it's incredibly, incredibly hard to do. And when you want to talk about making something a business, there's the issue of supply and demand and economics come into it. So New York or anywhere for that matter, but especially New York, um, you know, in my opinion, and I've heard this from older cats in New York and then back home in Pittsburgh, everybody would be like, don't do music for a living, don't do it, you know, there are no gigs. And the amount of gigs that there were, say in 1980 even, compared to now, it's like you're looking at like 90% less. And now the other thing you have is you have this relationship where the market, especially in New York, it's saturated with talent. Everybody comes here, right? The level's super high, the gigs are, the, the amount of gigs and the percentage of that is super low. So you have this completely out of whack um, supply demand ratio. So as a business model, I mean, it's been annihilated for a long time. And to be honest, it's, you know, students that I have and younger people that ask me, should I pursue it as a career? I tell them, no, absolutely not. You'd have to be nuts to do it. Um, having said that, I mean, I'm trying my best to do it. We're all trying our best to do it. But the reality of it is, is we're really trying to make a living in a business that is really, I mean, it's, it's just annihilated. So what I would say is, I think what I try to do is, I mean, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for any paying gig that I have. I'm grateful to make any money playing my music. I mean, I struggle and I strive to monetize my playing and my compositions as best that I can. And there is ways to do that. I, I think that music licensing is a really great way to monetize your music and your works. And especially non-exclusively, you can do it over and over and over again. So that's a really great thing. Touring is really good, especially if you're in a touring show. The wedding band thing, I mean, that's been very lucrative for me. The Broadway thing is lucrative. My own gigs, for the, a lot of times, I take a loss on my own stuff. Um, so I think, I think we should all, I think it's important to know what you want to do. And I think it's great. We're all artists. We're all professional musicians. But I just think that the reality of it is, is as a business, it's becoming increasingly more... Um, unsustainable that doesn't mean that I'm saying but that I'm gonna stop doing it but I think more than ever now you're seeing people that do multiple different jobs and it's just it's not what it used to be and I've been told that for years by all kinds of cats um, but having said that I mean I still I'm grateful to do it I'm grateful like the most money that I've ever made on a gig was playing music so I'm grateful for that <coughs> It's just not what it used to be. I mean, there's not that many opportunities. The market is very saturated. So when you have so much supply and little demand, that is what it is. It's just, it's just an inefficient, ineffective business model. Sure. That's just yeah. how I see it, you know. So. Totally. I, you know, I, I want to say quickly, Which I'm sure we all know. But. Yeah, yeah. No, quickly that uh, it's, if, there's any, if there's, for people who are watching this, who, might, who maybe there's some students, Nick said there's some students who are watching earlier that everybody sure. has their own version 
Absolutely. Your version is not so. I like not, that a lot. I like not that someone else's version. Someone you admire who does who you think I would like to do what they do. Yep. You basically are not gonna have. You're not gonna have their life because we're all. Everyone's creating their. We're putting together our lives piece by piece, you know, and making it work the way we can do it for our for ourselves, so we can be happy, try to be happy, and try to make music. And so, uh, you know, there's a lot of. But that said, there are also like an infinite number of possibilities of ways to do it. There's just gonna you gotta find your way. That's the it's the only you're not gonna get someone else's. I just wanted to follow up to Brian's initial point because Andy reminded it me of it. Uh, was uh, like the idea of like being extreme to just sticking to your 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 art a hundred percent. That's that's what you're saying, Brian. And like it might you won't make any money for a long time, and then the door opens you go through it and it's huge that's what your original point was well it, essentially I, and actually that's not what i choose to do with my own career but i've observed people who i admire sort of take that tack and uh, and i see it pay off pay dividends it just seems to take patience through hard years um and a, a, essentially a vow of um uh you know being Monk poor <laughs> i wonder if for those people that you think it's paid up paid so many dividends financial or otherwise whether they feel that's true or not right that's the question yeah because because there it's easy to create an invisible boundary where you think once i can get through that boundary but then it will always move and then once you're through it you discover that it's the same as on the other side yeah. sure yeah you know? Like I think like some of the, even like the, like unless you're huge, like it's like the 1% thing again, you know, it's yeah. just like 1% even in jazz are the ones making money. And if you're not in the 1%, you could be touring, but you might make just as much as like you would if you just stayed home, like working an hourly job, you know, yeah. like, yes. oh man, you're a huge deal. But if you're not in that 1%, like, I don't think they're making much like very good money and the perception versus reality thing is really crazy in the jazz world. yeah I and I, I love i loved what andy said also about um you know like i i agree completely that some of some of the sort of best musical experiences i've gotten to have have been with older working musicians who um who none of our students would have ever heard of many people who maybe have never even really been on records other than um, as a cast recording in an out in a um, show or a, a, you know like a studio musician on a pop record so they're they're not names they're just guys who have uh, an incredible skill for um, for being able to play exactly what's needed for the situation that they're in um, the only thing that worries me personally at, at this stage of my career is I meet more people and 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 work more in, um, in, for example, in my life, I, I work in the theater a lot, is, um, is you, you do meet a lot of really dark people, people who have totally lost their creative spark. This and so while they are incredible musicians, uh, it seems that they're very unhappy in their lives. And I would much personally much rather be happy and healthy and, and feel good about my life decisions than, um, then be, uh, you know, financially successful in that way or, or something. So, I, I, but I guess um, as I'm hearing myself talk, I, I, I guess I'm just trying to say that this is a, a huge um, concern to me all the time. Like I'm always reevaluating the decisions that, that I've made and I'm making um, to make sure that, um, that I don't lose my creative spark, but that I, um, uh, you know, support myself and mm -hmm. and like Caleb said it it looks different for everybody I think that I, I don't I don't want this to come across as uh, discouraging to anybody who might be watching I think a positive thing to say is that we're five people who are all doing that um, successfully yeah. so um, <laughs> so, so <laughs> yes <laughs> whatever that might be <laughs> so. doing it nonetheless oh yeah definitely but uh, you know yeah I think I mean Brian I think I you know, agree with your original point and everybody really but just that's kind of the approach I've, I've always viewed it as like 
you have two musical selves, or at least I do. That one is the one that is the artistic one, and one is the the one that's like the craftsman, you know. And the the craftsmanship helps the artistry, and the artistry helps the craftsmanship. And so for me, that's what I try to talk to my students about about the necessity to, like Paul says, like play play what needs to be played, and then also to go and make a statement that's interesting to people. Like you can't not do, at least I feel like you can't not do both if you want to be a quote unquote jazz musician in, you know, this time, this age. But um, wow, this has been like so interesting. I don't want to take advantage of everybody's time, but uh, I would love to go around one more time and let people kind of plug, you know, what they're working on, whatever projects they're working on or want people to go listen to and maybe a place where they can find your music. Some people have already mentioned their websites or different things, but I'd love to give everybody a chance to just plug a, somewhere to go to find their music and what the, what uh, what you'd like people to find of yours. So Andy, do you want to start off? Yeah, sure. Once again, thank you so much, Nick, for doing this. Paul, Brian, Caleb, it's great hearing just such an amazing wealth of information and, and great dialoguing with you. And I wish you all well. Hope to hope to meet you all in person when this, uh, this whole crazy pandemic is over, hopefully sooner than later. And um, I'd just like to plug my record, which is called NYC Stories, uh, featuring Wayne Escoffrey, George Burton, Paul Wells, Alan Mednard, um, Nathan Peck, Glenn White, uh, and Wayne Smith Jr., which is out now on Next Level Records. And that's available uh, on all digital platforms, and you can, uh, you can also buy it for me directly. That's my main focus right now. Also check out um, my good friend and uh, piano extraordinary George Burton's new record called Reciprocity, uh, which I'm on and I'm very proud to be part of that record. That's a great cast of uh, players, um, you know, such as uh, Tim Warfield and Marshall Allen is, uh, is, is, is doing some, uh, some inter interview snippets in between the tracks. So, so definitely check that out. And um, I will let everyone know when my, uh, hopefully my shows get rescheduled. So thank you. Thank you all. all. Right. Excellent. Uh, Caleb? Uh, yeah, so first thing, I don't know, maybe this isn't in uh, ranked order, but the Curtis Garrett, my name is Caleb Curtis. I'm a saxophone player, and we're saying goodbye. And the first thing that I would say is that Curtis Garabedian Sparazza record, trio record called New Year, um, which came out last year, and we're, we were supposed to go in to record a new one. Um, on Wednesday, but we didn't do it. Oh boy. Yeah. And then, so there's another one coming and I have a record coming out in the fall on Imani Records with Josh Lawrence, Chet Doxis, Mark Whitfield Jr., Luquez Curtis, Julius Rodriguez, and Sarah Elizabeth Charles. Lemon. Uh, wow. And uh, so that, that's called Ain't No Storm, which at the time was because I thought things were not usually as bad as they seemed. But no, I'm not so sure about that name. How things will change. I say, yeah, but I think I'm just going to have to keep going with it. So, uh, uh, and uh, the Warren Evans and the Captain Black Big Band has a new record out May 1st on Smoke Sessions, mm. nice. um, which I'm looking forward to everyone hearing. It's a there's a lot of people on it. <laughs> so, uh, thank you very much for having me, and uh, always nice to see see you guys. Uh, Brian. Okay. Um, so. I really want to plug our colleague Seth Weaver's big band mm. record, which came out yeah. today on today, Outside yeah. Music, um, which I uh, produced that. And, uh, and I just, I think it's really good. I'm, pr I'm super proud of Seth. Uh, and I know that he's put a hundred percent of every facet of his life into it. So I really hope sure. people will go listen to that. Um, and as for myself, um, I would, well, I have a, a, a live album coming out on Out of Your Head Records um, this fall. We haven't picked a date yet, but it's going to be called Viscera, live at Firehouse 12. And it features my little band, which is me, Ollie Hervonen on guitar, Marty Kenny on bass, and Stephen Kramer on drum set. And that's all new music, and it's a live record. And it's also, it was the 16th show of a, of a three-week tour um oh, that we did last yeah. year so the energy is is wild um and um do we have anything else to plug and i guess i'll plug let's get tropical there we go yeah. by paul jones <laughs> you got it paul <laughs> yeah, Passing the baton. yeah 
called Let's Get Tropical. Um, there's one bossa nova on the, the album called Let's Get Tropical, inspired by exotica music and uh, lounge music and hotels. And the rest of the album is heavy hitting mental deep jazz. So it's a little bit of a trick, um, but I like it. And it has Clarence Penn, Linda O, oh, and Phil Markowitz on it, which was just amazing. Uh, I'm so thankful for them. And Denica Penniston did the photography and uh, Adrian Paderis did the graphic design. And uh, I think the album art came out pretty amazing. So I was very happy about. Um, you can find my music on my website, paulthejones.com. And I created uh, a digital booklet because I was tired of not getting any information about albums. And I missed the experience of getting album art. So I made a, a page specifically designed to be album art in the digital world. And it has the album. You can play the whole thing for free. Um, the album art pictures from the session, um, the videos that I'm making exclusive liner notes for that page written by guitarist and friend Noah Berman. Um, and then that's paulthejones.com. And then what I'm working on in the future at the moment is my jazz language as a method to get more work, but also take my artistry to the next level in a way to communicate with people out there in a better way. Yeah, Paul. Yeah, man. Well, thank you all so much. Make sure you guys, if you're listening, check out all of these great projects. There's so much music to listen to while you're stuck at home.